This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We will be in several different chapters in Jeremiah tonight, but we're going to spend the most time in chapter 37. So uh, that'd be a good place for you to turn. I will ask you to follow along with me in a couple of different passages as we go there. Uh, I think there's a value to being able to follow along in your own Bible uh, as we do it, but Jeremiah 37 would be a good place to start. You might recognize this man. His name is Volodymyr Zelensky, and he is the president of Ukraine. He has captured the world's imagination over the past week. Um, he was elected less than three years ago, and he had no political experience before becoming president. Uh, he's a former comedian and actor, and I was interested to find out, actually, and some of you might know this, he starred in a TV series where he played, you guessed it, the president. In fact, some people thought it was a joke when he started running for president. They thought he was just playing off the fact that he had played the president of the TV show. But anyway, since just before Russia's invasion, he has shown a resolute and strong face as a wartime leader. Uh, a quote from the speech he made last Thursday, just hours before the Russians invaded, has already become famous. He told the Russians, when you attack us, you will see our faces, not our backs but our faces, and probably many of you have heard that quote. Uh, but these are not, you might think, well, he's an actor. He knows how to, you know, he knows how to get people to respond in a certain way. But we have found that they're not just empty words. Uh, even as the Russians approached Kyiv, President Zelensky uh, has refused offers for evacuation. He is instead... Um, gone so far as to shoot video of himself and other government officials outside the presidential building just to prove that he isn't going anywhere. He's, he's sticking around. Uh, and clearly it's a move to try to galvanize the people against the Russian invasion. Uh, but Zelensky has also shown that his nation means something to him. He's willing to risk his life to continue to lead his people. He's unwilling to run. And other Ukrainians, too, have shown their willingness to sacrifice their own safety and even their lives to defend their nation. And by doing that, they have proved how much their nation and their independence means to them. You should change the vice president, though, have the same ideas. Well, we could talk about that for a while, but <laughs> trying to, trying to um, stay out of politics tonight, it's, it's hard sometimes, but... Um, they're, they're certainly not the first in a military conflict to show bravery in the face of death to protect what they love. The cost that you're willing to pay for something shows how much it's truly worth to you. And over the course of his ministry, Jeremiah made it abundantly clear just how much it was worth to him to stay faithful to God and to fulfill the ministry that God had given him. Tonight we're going to look at the high price that Jeremiah paid. And we're going to consider several aspects of that cost. And we're going to begin with loneliness. We've hinted at this before, but Jeremiah's was, all in all, a lonely life. Uh, he spent much of his life alone or with very few companions. And it's often hard for us as Christians living in the U.S. to imagine what it would be like to be alone as a follower of God. With no Christian friends, with no church family, uh, we're so used to being surrounded by other Christians and having others that we can fall back on. But Jeremiah had very little of that. And at times, he was alone, even as many believers in other nations are today. And why is that? Why is it that Jeremiah's was such a lonely ministry? Well, first it was because he was not accompanied by a family. In Jeremiah 16, God gives Jeremiah a difficult command. Jeremiah 16, verses 1 and 2, the, the Bible says, The word of the Lord came also unto me, saying, Thou shalt not take thee a wife, neither shalt thou have sons or daughters in this place. 
And you think, what a command, what a blow for this young prophet that he's destined to never have his own wife or children. Um, you can put up with a lot when you have a supportive spouse to come back home to. Jeremiah did not have that. God commands Jeremiah not to get married. And you might say, you know, what's that all about? Why would God command such a thing? Well, (coughs) there was a reason for God commanding that. Basically, he goes on in that chapter to say that this is no time for families and children because the land is getting ready to be decimated. Uh, Everything's getting ready to be destroyed. And those with families will just have that much more to lose. And that's basically what God is saying. And so he's using Jeremiah's lifelong singleness as an illustration of the gravity of his message. Things are bleak. Things are going to get really bad in Judah. But because of that, that contributed to Jeremiah's loneliness. Also, uh, it's the fact that he was lonely because he had few friends. God gives another command later in Jeremiah 16, verse 8. God tells Jeremiah, Thou shalt not also go into the house of feasting to sit with them to eat and to drink. So Jeremiah wasn't supposed to go to parties. Uh, Again, as an illustration of the fact that the time was coming when there would no longer be any celebration. There would be no longer any feasting in Judah. Uh, All of that was going to be destroyed. It was going to go away. There would be none of that joy None of that sharing together. And so Jeremiah wasn't preaching on the weekend and then hanging out with all of his buddies during the week. Jeremiah was intentionally separating himself from these social gatherings at God's command. He was not sharing in the social events that so many others were. And even as we read through the book of Jeremiah, it's easy to see that he did have few friends. Uh, He didn't have a strong social support structure. At times, it seems that he had no human support at all. He didn't have another person to fall back on. There were many times in his ministry, in his life, that it was just him. He didn't have somebody beside him, somebody behind him, supporting and helping him. I could just imagine the complaint crossing Jeremiah's mind that, Elijah voiced to God in 1 Kings 19.10. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now, you probably recognize that passage as God and Elijah are having this conversation. God straightens Elijah out and helps him realize that, no, there are thousands of others who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Uh, You're not the only guy. Um, And God is helping Elijah understand he's still in control. But Elijah felt completely alone. He said, I, even I, only am left. The only one who's still trying to follow God. And no doubt Jeremiah felt that at times in his ministry. I am the only one in Judah who really cares about what God has to say. Surely Jeremiah felt from time to time that he was the only one left. And he was in many ways left on the outskirts of human society. But beyond that, he was even betrayed by his own community. Oops. Sorry. Here we go. Now, you may remember from back in Lesson 2 that Jeremiah was from a place called Anathoth. And Anathoth was the home of many priestly families, and it should have been a a, a base of support for the godly prophet Jeremiah. You think, here's a city that's full of people who say they're devoted to worshiping God and helping others worship God. And so, if Jeremiah's going to get support, it ought to come from his hometown, these people in Anathoth. And, and they ought to be cheering Jeremiah on. They ought to be helping him. They ought to be trying to encourage him in his ministry. But Jeremiah 11 tells us, there in verse 19, Jeremiah says, But I was like a lamb or an ox that is brought to the slaughter, and I knew not that they had devised devices against me, saying, 
Let us destroy the tree with the fruit thereof, and let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may be no more remembered. So, clearly there's a plot against Jeremiah's life that Jeremiah is talking about here. And he says, I was ignorant of it. I was ignorant that there were people who were going after my life. He goes on, But O Lord of hosts that judgest righteously, that triest the reins in the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them. For unto thee have I revealed my cause. Therefore thus saith the Lord of the men of Anathoth, that seek thy life, saying, Prophesy not in the name of the Lord, that thou die not by our hand. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword, their sons and their daughters shall die by famine, and there shall be no remnant of them, for I will bring evil upon the men of Anathoth, even the year of their visitation. So there's this plan against Jeremiah's life, and who is it that's put this plan together who's trying to go after, Anna, after Jeremiah? It's the men of Anathoth. It's the people from the town where Jeremiah grew up. They're getting together and saying, let's kill Jeremiah. Think about the betrayal of that kind of treatment from your own hometown. Now, God protected Jeremiah. He made sure that he found out about the plot. He escaped out of their hand. But what a blow it would have been to find out that these men are looking for an opportunity to kill Jeremiah. It reminds me of Luke 4, when Jesus goes back to visit his hometown, Nazareth. And he preaches there in the synagogue. And in his message, he talks about the Gentiles and the fact that God is working among the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And the people of Nazareth are very unhappy about Jesus' message. And what do they do? Well, the Bible tells us they rose up, Luke 4.29, and thrust him out of the city and led him onto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. And he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. Jesus, too, returned to his hometown, and they took him up to the top of this mountain and tried to cast him off. They tried to kill him. Jeremiah, like the Lord Jesus, was betrayed by his own community. So with no wife and children, few friends, and a community that had turned on him, Jeremiah was truly a lonely man. Again, it's reminiscent for me of another passage of Scripture. Paul talking in 2 Timothy 4. And Paul, of course, is in prison at this point. And he says in 2 Timothy 4.16, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. And then he says, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me. Amen. And strengthened me. That by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Paul reflected that the time had come in his life when no man stood with him. And we think about Paul, and we think about all these people that he, that he mentored, all these friends that he had, all these different people that we always connect with Paul in Scripture. But he said, this time came when there was no one with me. And there were legitimate reasons for some of them. But here he is alone. But he was able to reflect even in that moment that nonetheless the Lord stayed faithful to him and continued to use him as a mouthpiece. And Jeremiah no doubt found the grace of God even in his loneliness and betrayal. But Jeremiah paid the price in other ways as well. He also suffered suspicion. Take a look with me now at Jeremiah 37. And we'll, we're, we'll begin in verse 1. And uh, over the course of the lesson, we'll work our way through this chapter. Verse 1, And King Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, reigned instead of Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land did hearken unto the words of the Lord, which he spake by the prophet Jeremiah. And Zedekiah the king sent Jehuchal, the son of Shelemiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Maaseah, the priest, to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Pray now unto the Lord our God for us. Now Jeremiah came in and went out among the people, for they had not put him into prison. Then Pharaoh's army was come forth out of Egypt, and when the Chaldeans that besieged Jerusalem heard tidings of them, they departed from Jerusalem. So we're, we're further along now than, than last time. Last time we were in the fourth year of Zedekiah's reign. 
At this point, we're probably around the eighth year of his reign. Okay, And as you can see on the timeline here, we're getting dangerously close to the fall of Jerusalem. But Babylon has come against Jerusalem. Um, they're beginning to... Uh, they haven't really put it, the city under siege yet, but the attack is beginning when the events that Jeremiah 37 talks about happen. Uh, Pharaoh comes out of Egypt, and because of that, uh, the Babylonian army is pulled away from Jerusalem to face that threat. So what happened here is Zedekiah was set up by Babylon as a kind of a puppet king for Judah. Well, he got to the point where he decided... I'm done with this. I don't want to be underneath, underneath Babylon anymore. I want to be a king for real. And so he revolted against Babylon, and he tried to create an alliance with Egypt to kind of bolster his power against Babylon because he knew he couldn't hold up against them. And so this has happened. He has is, he is revolted from Babylon. Babylon comes to say, okay, we're not going to have any of this. They send their armies in to show Zedekiah who's boss, and then Pharaoh comes out with his army because he's got an alliance with Judah now. And so this army that's been around Jerusalem now is gone. Good news. The people in Jerusalem are rejoicing. This army that's been right outside their city is gone. Um, it, it seems like things are, are headed in the right direction. But Jeremiah has a message from God in response to the joy that's brought on by that reprieve. He, continuing on now in verse 6. Then came the word of the Lord unto the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Thus shall ye say to the king of Judah that sent you unto me to inquire of me. Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come forth to help you, shall return to Egypt into their own land. And the Chaldeans shall come again. And just to clarify here, I want to make sure you understand, Chalde whenever it talks about the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, that's the army of Babylon. Uh, the Chaldeans shall come again and fight against this city and take it and burn it with fire. Thus saith the Lord, deceive not yourselves, saying, the Chaldeans shall surely depart from us, for they shall not depart. For though ye had smitten the whole army of the Chaldeans that fight against you, and there remained but wounded men among them, yet should they rise up every man in his tent and burn this city with fire. God is saying, appearances are deceiving. The Egyptian army came out to fight Babylon, but they're going to be heading back to Egypt. And history tells us that's absolutely what happened. The Egyptians came out to... to you know, show their power. Babylon came against the Egyptians, defeated them, and sent them packing back to Egypt. And God says the Babylonians are going to come back, and they're going to burn Jerusalem to the ground. It's going to happen. That's not what anyone wants to hear right now. But it's exactly what God says is true. And so Jeremiah delivers that message, and he goes on about his business. Well, he's not entirely allowed to go on about his business. Verse 11, it came to pass that when the army of the Chaldeans was broken up from Jerusalem for fear of Pharaoh's army, then Jeremiah went forth out of Jerusalem to go into the land of Benjamin, to separate himself thence in the midst of the people. And when he was in the gate of Benjamin, a captain of the ward was there, whose name was Arijah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Hananiah. And he took Jeremiah the prophet, saying, Thou fallest away to the Chaldeans. Then said Jeremiah, It is false, I fall not away to the Chaldeans. But he hearkened not to him. So Elijah took Jeremiah and brought him to the princes. So Jeremiah is now under suspicion. Um, not only do they not like his messages, they're accusing him of treason. He's being accused of being an agent for the Babylonians. After all, he keeps telling them to surrender. All right, even now, the Babylonian army has left and he says, no, they're coming back, they're going to destroy the city, so you ought to surrender. And so they're saying, if he keeps telling us to surrender, he must be working for them. He must be on their payroll. He's trying to weaken the defenses of Judah and make us doubt uh, defending our own home. And of course, we know this is not true. He's just speaking the word of God, but they begin to suspect him. Now think about the pain that this would be for someone as loyal to his nation as Jeremiah. Think about if you, for some reason, 
some mix up, some false information, got accused of being a terrorist, and you got hauled in for questioning. That you were involved in something where you were trying to attack our country, you were trying to, to hurt the American nation. What a pain that would be, because on the one side you'd be trying to just clear your name and, and say, no, 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 this isn't true, but on the other side you'd be deeply hurt, saying, how could this be something that I have to fight against? This is not my heart. I love my country. I love the people of my country. I, I would not want to hurt my nation. And this is where Jeremiah is at this point. This is part of the price that Jeremiah had to pay for his faithfulness. And of course he denies that any of this is true, um, but he gets, he gets hauled before the, the authorities nonetheless. So he also faced, dis uh, along with loneliness and suspicion, he also faced resistance. And we've talked about a couple of ways he faced resistance. Uh, one, from other prophets. We talked about last time, last time uh, the false prophet Hananiah and how he resisted Jeremiah, how he contradicted Jeremiah's message and fought against him. Um, we, he also faced resistance from priests, other uh, spiritual religious leaders. We talked about uh, Jeremiah chapter 20. This is going back a few weeks. Uh, do you remember uh, the guy named Pasher? He was the chief governor of the temple, and he's the one who got angry at Jeremiah because of his message and beat him and put him in the stocks. Um, so Jeremiah was, was, uh, faced resistance from priests and other, spiritual, uh, other religious leaders as well, but also from the princes, as we see here, even in Jeremiah 37. Picking up in verse 15, Elijah has brought Jeremiah before these princes, these, these leaders of the land, and it says, Wherefore the princes were wroth with Jeremiah, and smote him, and put him in prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe, for they had made that the prison. So again, Jeremiah is beaten, and this time, he's not just put in the stocks, he's put in prison. Now, we don't know the exact conditions of this prison, but verse 16 tell, talks about Jeremiah entering into the dungeon. That decide, sounds decidedly unpleasant. And then it says, and into the cabins. You might think, well, that sounds nice. They had a little cabin for him, you know, a, a nice overlook of the Dead Sea. Well, <laughs> that, not quite. The word actually refers to vaulted cells. So best I can tell, he was put into solitary confinement. He wasn't just in the prison. He was put into one of the, the cells kind of back away from everything else. And um, it was rough enough that later he talks about the fact that if he had to return there, he would likely die. Uh, whether it's because of the conditions of the prison or the fact that he wasn't being fed, we're not sure. But this was, this was no picnic for Jeremiah. But even the princes of Judah weren't the last of those who resisted Jeremiah. He also faced resistance from kings. And we talked about this some before. Um, I do want to look back at one other passage with King Jehoiakim that we skipped over before, but it shows us just how, how much resistance Jeremiah faced from this wicked king. Uh, Jeremiah 26, I'm going to read an extended passage here. Um, we'll move through it fairly quickly, but just to give you an idea of what was going on during Jehoiakim's reign. Verse 8, Now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people, that the priests and the prophets and all the people took him, saying, Thou shalt surely die. Why hast thou prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant? And we talked about uh, some of these prophecies where he talked about it becoming like Shiloh, or, where things were just going to be completely destroyed. And all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the princes of Judah heard these things, then they came up from the king's house unto the house of the Lord, and sat down in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. Then spake the priests and the prophets unto the princes and to all the people, saying, This man is worthy to die, for he hath prophesied against this city, as ye have heard with your ears." Then spake Jeremiah unto all the princes and to all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words that ye have heard. 
Therefore now amend your ways and your doings, and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will repent him of the evil that he hath pronounced against you. As for me, behold, I am in your hand. Do with me as seemeth good and meet unto you, but know ye for certain that if ye put me to death, ye shall surely bring innocent blood upon yourselves, and upon this city, and upon the inhabitants thereof. For of a truth, the Lord hath sent me unto you to speak all these words in your ears. Then said the princes and all the people unto the priests and to the prophets, This man is not worthy to die, for he hath spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Then rose up certain of the elders of the land and spake to all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah the Morristite, this is Micah the prophet Micah, who wrote the book of Micah, prophesied in the days of Hezekiah king of Judah, and spake to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house as the high places of a forest. Did Hezekiah king of Judah and all Judah put him at all to death? Did he not fear the Lord and besought the Lord? And the Lord repented him of the evil which he had pronounced against them? Thus might we procure great evil against our souls. And there was also a man that prophesied in the name of the Lord, Urijah the son of Shemaiah of Kurdish Jerem. Before we go on. So what happens here? Jeremiah is prophesying faithfully in the temple. People get angry about it. They gather this group of people together and basically they're putting Jeremiah under judgment. And they're, they're basically about to kill him. And he says, if you do this, you're bringing innocent blood on yourselves. Somebody brings up this great historical example of Micah and some of the, prof the prophecies that he spoke against Judah and how the people responded the right way to that. And they say, you know what? That's right. We're not going to kill Jeremiah. But this is, a, this, is, this is no joke, okay? Jeremiah is close to death. But this next part shows us just how wicked Jehoiakim was and how close Jeremiah came to ending to his life ending much sooner. It says, Urijah the son of Shemaiah of Kirjath Jerem, who prophesied against this city and against this land according to all the words of Jeremiah. And when Jehoiakim the king, with all his mighty men and all the princes, heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Urijah heard it, he was afraid and fled and went into Egypt. And Jehoiakim the king sent men into Egypt, namely Elnathan the son of Akbor, and certain men with him into Egypt, and they fetched forth Urijah out of Egypt and brought him unto Jehoiakim the king, who slew him with the sword and cast his dead body into the graves of the common people. Nevertheless, the hand of Ahikam the son of Shaphan was with Jeremiah, that they should not give him into the hand of the people to put him to death. So Jehoiakim was not bluffing. This guy, Urijah, who prophesied things much like Jeremiah did, Jehoiakim went after him with so much vigor that he said, I'm going to send people down into Egypt to get this guy out of Egypt and bring him back so I can kill him with my own hand. And he went after Jeremiah too. And we know that it's God's protection that saved Jeremiah from dying. Likely, though, this is the time in Jeremiah's life when it became impossible for him to again prophesy in the temple, which is why later on with Baruch, Baruch is the one who's going to the temple and sharing the word of God. But here we see Jeremiah's beginning to be a wanted man. Now, things were much different under King Zedekiah, but that doesn't mean that they were good. Let's pick up the story in Jeremiah 37. And we'll see a little bit about who King Zedekiah really was here. Picking up in verse 16. When Jeremiah was entered into the dungeon and into the cabins, and Jeremiah had remained there many days, then Zedekiah the king sent and took him out, and the king asked him secretly in his house and said, Is there any word from the Lord? And Jeremiah said, There is. For, said he, Thou shalt be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. Now, on one level you can say, this is encouraging. King Jehoiakim never would have dreamed of asking Jeremiah's advice or trying to find out from him if God had spoken. Jehoiakim would never have done that. And here Zedekiah is, he, he, he understands, he knows that Jeremiah is a true prophet of God. He knows that what Jeremiah has to say is true. 
So he calls on him to know what God has to say. But he does it in secrecy. King Zedekiah's action, while encouraging on one level, is also a slap in the face to Jeremiah. He has an appreciation for Jeremiah and what he can offer, but he is unwilling to cast in his lot with him. He's afraid of how the princes and the people may respond, so he keeps their conversation a secret. He doesn't want anyone to know that he respects Jeremiah. He doesn't want anyone to know that he believes Jeremiah is, is a true prophet. He just wants to get what he can out of Jeremiah and hide it from the people because he's afraid of how it might affect his reputation. We also see here his desire for compromise. Zedekiah, like I've mentioned before, it seems like his number one goal in life was to try his best to make everybody happy. Whatever he had to do to try to appease everyone, that's what he was going to do. And here we find this as Jeremiah and Zedekiah are speaking back and forth. After answering Zedekiah's question, Jeremiah responds with a request of his own in verse 18. Moreover, Jeremiah said unto King Zedekiah, What have I offended against thee, or against thy servants, or against this people, that you've put me in prison? Where are now your prophets which prophesied unto you, saying, The king of Babylon shall not come against you, nor against this land? Therefore hear now, I pray thee, O my lord the king, let my supplication, I pray thee, be accepted before thee, that thou cause me not to return to the house of Jonathan the scribe, lest I die there. Then Zedekiah the king commanded that they should commit Jeremiah into the court of the prison, and that they should give him daily a piece of bread out of the baker's street, until all the bread in the city were spent. Thus Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. So, Jeremiah tells the king what he clearly already knows. Jeremiah is a true prophet of God, and the others have been proved to be liars. Jeremiah just lays it all out before the king. He says, where are the other prophets? Where are those other prophets who told you the king of Babylon is not going to come against Jerusalem? Where are they now? And here I am, and all the things I've prophesied are coming true. And so he says, don't just send me back to the prison, lest I die there. So what does Zedekiah do? He doesn't release Jer Jeremiah, but he says, okay, I won't send you back into the cell where you were before. You can be in the court of the prison. I'm not going to send you back into the corner, um, and I'll make sure that you get a piece of bread every day. So you don't die. So this way, Zedekiah can appease his own conscience a little bit by making sure that it's not too bad for Jeremiah. But he's not going to let Jeremiah go because that would make the others unhappy. And so he finds this compromise. He finds this, this ground where he can feel okay about himself without making anybody too angry. And this just shows us who Zedekiah really was. As F.B. Meyer says of Zedekiah, Throughout his reign, he gave evident tokens of desiring better things, but he was weak and irresolute, lacking the strength of purpose necessary to assert himself for good amid the confused counsels that agitated his court. He respected Jeremiah, but did not dare publicly to espouse his cause, showing him his royal favor by stealth. Weak and irresolute. Unwilling to stand up for the truth. That's Zedekiah. And because of Zedekiah's spinelessness, Jeremiah faced trouble, and it's only going to get worse, as we'll find out next week. Now, what did Jeremiah do when he was faced with this staggering cost of his ministry? Well, Jeremiah called for justice. And we see that here in Jeremiah 37. He faced injustice. He knew it was wrong. He knew he didn't deserve what was happening. And so he called for justice from the king. He lays things out, as we already looked at, before King Zedekiah, and he pled for justice with him. Now, that call found a pretty sorry answer from Zedekiah. But I do think it's important to note that Jeremiah did ask for justice. It reminds me of Paul in Acts 22, when he's about to be beaten and he says, wait, 
I'm a Roman citizen. You've got to accuse me of something. You've got to show that I'm guilty of something before you beat me. He wasn't just rolling over and letting them do whatever to them. He was calling for justice. We as Christians are told to expect injustice, but that does not mean we ought not stand up against injustice when we're experiencing it. And we need God's grace to know how to navigate this. But just because we're supposed to expect persecution does not mean that we shouldn't say something when things are not the way they ought to be. And Jeremiah shows us this. But he also shows us what usually happens. Most political leaders are unwilling to do things that are unpopular, even if they know they are right. And so we're foolish to expect too much at the same time. Jeremiah also called for justice from a higher court. We see this in Jeremiah 18. There he calls on the Lord. Jeremiah 18, verse 18. Then said they, Come, and let us devise devices against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, and let us smite him with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. So again, these, are, these people are conspiring against Jeremiah. And then Jeremiah says this, Give heed to me, O Lord, and hearken to the voice of them that contend with me. Shall evil be recompensed for good? For they have digged a pit for my soul. Remember that I stood before thee to speak good for them and to turn away thy wrath from them. Therefore deliver up their children to the famine and pour out their blood by the force of the sword and let their wives be bereaved of their children and be widows and let their men be put to death. Let their young men be slain by the sword in battle. Let a cry be heard from their houses when thou shalt bring a troop suddenly upon them. For they have digged a pit to take me and hid snares for my feet. Yet, Lord, thou knowest all their counsel against me to slay me. Forgive not their iniquity, neither blot out their sin from their, thy sight, but let them be overthrown before thee. Deal thus with them in the time of thine anger. Jeremiah called on God to even the score. Now, you may find this kind of call for violent justice distasteful. And I admit it's hard for me to imagine praying a prayer like that. But Jeremiah knew what God had said would happen to those who refused to heed his message. And here Jeremiah is simply asking that God would keep his word. And that those who hate and re reject Jeremiah would face that fate. And that prayer was answered in catastrophic detail. So Jeremiah paid quite a, quite, quite a price in his ministry for the Lord. In Luke 21, Jesus promised that one of the things that would happen in the last days, which is the time period we find ourselves in now between Christ's ascension and the rapture of the church, in these last days, one of the things he said that would happen is before all these, he said in Luke 21, 12, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what you shall answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolks and friends, and some of you they shall cause to be put to death, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but there shall not an hair of your head perish. Jesus talks about persecution, prison, betrayal, threat of death, hatred from all sides. Those are all things that Jeremiah experienced. And these are things that are promised to Christians in our age. Now, some experience much of this, some experience very little. But note what Christ said. I love this about this passage. He says, some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And he talks about all these other things, and then he finishes out with, but there shall not an hair of your head perish. 
You say, whoa, 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 wait a second. <laughs> How does that work? They're going to kill some of us, but none of our hair is going to die? Does that mean they're just not going to touch that part of our head that won't get affected? <laughs> Obviously, what he's saying here is, all of these things are going to befall my children, but for all of eternity, my relationship with them, their life with me is not affected by any of it. Amen. They can't touch what really matters. Yeah. And that's what Jeremiah faced, and that's what Jeremiah had to come to terms with. F.B. Meyer once again, he said in his book on Jeremiah, God graduates the trials of our life. He allows the lesser to precede the greater. He gives us the opportunity of learning to trust him in slighter difficulties, that faith may become muscular and strong, and that we may be able to walk with him amid the surge of the ocean. And Jeremiah experienced that in his life. At the beginning, he was under a godly king, Josiah. Things were good in many ways, but he, he did face resistance. Uh, he came to grips more and more with the wicked heart of the people as they resisted his message. But as time goes on, he faces worse and worse threats, worse and worse violence against him. But as that happens, we can see his faith in God growing. God is strengthening his servant through it. It reminds me of the words of Romans 5. Romans 5, 3 through 5. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So what he's saying there is... God will grant us grace to glory in tribulations as he helps us to know that those tribulations work in us patience. And as we are patient, we endure those tribulations, it gives us experience. And the more experience that we get in those tribulations, the more that we experience trouble and see God to be more than enough, that grows our hope, our confidence in God. And as our hope in God, our confidence in God grows, then He can continue to help us to experience more and more. Amen. He grows that faith. Like we talked about when we talked about how Jeremiah was rejected, these promises, these, these subjects ought not discourage us or cause us to give up hope. We look at Jeremiah's life sometimes, and sometimes it's like, man, this is a real downer. Mm. And I, I, I'm just going to tell you now, it doesn't really end in a blaze of glory either. Um, there's a lot of hardship. There's a lot of, a, a lot of difficulty and a lot of asking questions why. But that's the reality of life. And through that, God is doing something much more, much greater, much more significant inside us with our relationship with him. And he was doing that in the life of Jeremiah. And so the cost that Jeremiah paid, we ought to say, wow, that's wonderful that he's willing to pay that. But even as he paid that cost, God was using those experiences in Jeremiah's life as well. But Jeremiah clearly showed that being faithful to God mattered enough to him that he was willing to pay that price. William Carney was born a slave in Norfolk, Virginia in 1840. His family was later set free and they moved to the state of Massachusetts. And in March of 1863, Carney joined the 54th Massachusetts Colored Infantry Regiment. Just a few months late, later, in July of 1863, his unit charged Fort Wagner in Charleston, South Carolina. And in the course of that charge, his flag bearer was shot, and Kearney rushed to recover the, cover, the colors. And he raised the flag high, and even after being shot several times, he kept that flag aloft. 
He nearly died of his wounds, but he did not let the flag touch the ground. The symbol of the union mattered enough to him that he was willing to give his life trying to keep those stars and stripes waving. He became the first Black Medal of Honor recipient when he was awarded the medal on May 23, 1900. But that day, in 1863, William Carney showed that he was willing to pay the price. Jeremiah was willing to pay the price. Are we? And that's the clear challenge for us from this episode in Jeremiah's life. I want to see briefly, quickly if there are any questions or comments tonight. Yes, sir. I don't, uh, I don't think this is stretching things too far, but a parallel would be the class that Pastor Coles is teaching. As we grow older, we have more trials and tribulations. The more we can see God carrying us through this, I mean, the sweeter it grows. Uh, we learn, we have knowledge, the, the older people do, that they can pass on to the younger people. And that, that's the thrust of what he's been teaching for weeks here now. And as you were talking about Jeremiah, <clears throat> what he was going through, and the more he could see God, and the more his faith and trust and, and hope grew. Uh, and that's basically what he's been teaching. And as we get closer to that day when we step into glory, uh, and our hope and our confidence in the Lord grows. And... Sorry, forgive me. I'm looking up a verse that, that what you're saying brought to mind. Um, but it's absolutely right, and I think that, that those verses in Romans, Romans, from my own experience in growing older, I could agree. <laughs> well, but the thing is, I said that, and I realized it that it sounds that it sounds funny for me to try to. Um, but those verses in Romans, I think, are are so applicable in in talking about that. That experience ought to. God wants that to engender hope in us, that, that confidence in God. Yeah, but the truth of the matter is, everyone in here is growing older. And, and if uh, you look at the old people and how they move and almost fall and ache and stuff, you, those days are coming, and as long as we approach them as he's been teaching, uh, those are joyous days, great anticipation. I mean... I'm getting closer to heaven every single day. And that brings joy to my heart. It does. Uh, in any event, I really appreciate this study on Jeremiah. I see a lot of things in it. I enjoy the reading. Unfortunately, I can't remember everything I read this past week. But we sit and we read it together, and Judy and I. And, and it's been interesting, very interesting. Yeah. Thank you for putting this class together. Praise the Lord. It's... um. So the, the verse that I, I was thinking of, and I've heard um, another preacher that I respect brought this out as applying to aging. Uh, Proverbs 4.18 says that the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. And, and he talks, um, it's, it's Pastor Sexton, the, the president at, at Crown College where I went to school. He talks about how that ought to be our perspective, that it's, it's life is becoming brighter and brighter and more and more light and more and more of God until it's just right on into heaven. And Jeremiah's that's, life went along and he has suffered more persecution. As you get older, he's well, right now I'm glad that having young children is the greatest tribulation that I'm facing. <laughs> and I do think God graduates the, the, the trials for sure. Yeah, wait until they get to be teenagers. Yeah, I, I, I know. I'm, I'm grateful. Jeremiah was an amazing man to, to do all that he did and If we could say nothing else, endurance for that many years. Um, you know, we, we like to focus in, and 
you know, we're even doing this with this study. We focus in on certain episodes, certain stories, and, and how these things happen in Jeremiah's life and how he responded to this one time, you know, this one encounter with this, this prophet or this one time that he was put in jail. But really the great story is decades of just faithfulness and endurance and patience. And that's what, you know, any one of us can put up with something, even something really hard for a short time. But to say, I'm going to bear up under that for decades and continue faithfully, despite the, the resistance, despite the fact that I feel alone, despite the fact that it doesn't seem to be doing anything, I know it's what God wants me to do and I'm going to stay at it. And that's where, you know, we have even examples of missionaries that we support here or others that you may know who I have so much respect for just because they've stuck at it for so long and Amen. continued faithful. Um, so that's a, that's a huge lesson from him. Uh, next week we're going to find <coughs> Jeremiah facing an even greater trial. And we're going to watch as a man comes to his aid. And uh, we'll look at that story and we're going to discuss the others who supported Jeremiah and offered him friendship and fellowship and help throughout his otherwise lonely ministry. So that'll be our subject for next week. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for what we've been able to reflect on tonight. And thank you for the work you're doing in each of our lives. That process that Romans 5 talks about is a process that you are at work on in each one of us. You are seeking to cause tribulation to work patience and patience to work experience, and experience to work hope, and for hope to make us not ashamed. And Father, I pray that you would help us all to surrender to that process, to surrender to that work you're doing in us. And Lord, help us when we are called upon to pay a price for our faithfulness to you. Instead of that being the cue for us to step back, or to, uh, to dial back what we're doing for you, that instead it would be even a confirmation that we're doing what we ought to because you promised us opposition if we're faithful to you. And Lord, help us with this. Help us have the perspective Jeremiah had. Help us have his endurance and his faithfulness. And uh, guide us this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.